Welcome back, listeners, to Talking PFAS News. I'm a journalist and your host, Kayleen Bell. If you missed last week's Talking PFAS feature, it was a conversation I had with a Boston attorney, John Gardella, from CMBG3 Law. It was a fascinating discussion about PFAS litigation in the US, and I encourage you to have a listen. One of the things John did mention in last week's episode was the number of litigation cases that have been filed regarding PFAS firefighting foams. Have a listen. I think more recently what we've seen in the United States is more product lawsuits beginning with respect to PFAS. The initial targets of those lawsuits, quite predictably, probably to all of your listeners, would be the firefighting foams, the AFFF as we call them. Because the product is so ubiquitous and has so much PFAS in it, and it's such a high volume polluter of the environment, So there's, in the state of South Carolina in the United States, there's actually a docket specifically for lawsuits centering around that product. And as of today, there are about 550 lawsuits that sit on that docket that are currently being litigated. They come from all over the United States. So essentially what happens is if somebody were to sue one of the AFFF manufacturers or even 3M and DuPont with AFFF allegations in the lawsuit, the companies will move the court and ask the case to be consolidated onto that docket in South Carolina. It's supposed to sort of make a more efficient litigation. In today's episode of Talking PFAS News, 17th of May, 2021, we're going to be talking about New South Wales EPA ban on PFAS firefighting foam. The ban in New South Wales of the use of PFAS firefighting foam for the purposes of training and demonstrations came into effect on the 1st of April 2021. I asked the New South Wales EPA if they would come onto the podcast to explain what the changes mean, but unfortunately nobody was available to answer my questions. However, several lawyers have written commentary on the New South Wales EPA ban, and I was fortunate enough to contact environmental lawyer Claire Smith from the firm Clayton Utes in Sydney, and she's my special guest today on Talking PFAS News. My name is Claire Smith. I'm a partner in the Environment and Planning Group of Clayton Newt, which is a law firm. In Sydney? Yes. And so are you an environmental lawyer? Yes, I am. And the purpose of our discussion today is just to discuss some commentary that you wrote in March around the new New South Wales EPA ban on PFAS firefighting foams. Yes. So what happened was there was an amendment regulation that was introduced in March and that amended a key piece of EPA regulated legislation called the Protection of Environment Operations General Regulation. And that, as you say, imposes a ban on the use of PFAS substances. And there's three different types of ban. There's a ban on any person discharging PFAS firefighting foam for the purposes of firefighting training or firefighting demonstration. There's a ban on the use of firefighting foams containing PFAS except by relevant authorities in the case of a catastrophic fire. And that's defined as a fire involving a combustible accelerant such as petrol, kerosene, oil, tar, paint, 
or solvents or to extinguish a fire on the watercraft in the state or in prescribed waters. And a relevant authority is Transport for New South Wales, a fire brigade, a rural fire brigade, a community fire unit or a port authority. The third ban relates to a person selling a portable fire extinguisher containing the precursor to PFAS firefighting foam. Could you just clarify, there's a few different dates of when they come into effect Yes, so the ban on firefighting training or firefighting demonstration is already in effect. So that came into effect on the 1st of April and the other two bans come into effect on the 26th of September 2022. Okay, and of course, we're only talking about New South Wales here, aren't we? Correct. And what other states or territories in Australia are you aware of have a similar ban? So South Australia already has a similar ban and that was introduced in 2018 and Queensland began regulating PFAS containing firefighting foams and phasing uh, that out from around 2016. What um, stakeholders will be affected by the new regulation? Just anyone who uses firefighting foam? Anyone who uses firefighting foams containing PFAS and anybody who sells uh, PFAS containing firefighting equipment. What are the implications if the regulations are not followed? So there's a penalty. And so if you're a corporation, the maximum penalty is $44,000. And if you're an individual, the maximum penalty is $22,000. And do people think those amounts are sufficient as a deterrent? Did you write about that in your commentary? I haven't written about that, but that's not an insignificant fine. The initial penalty breaches around seven and a half thousand up to fifteen thousand. So that's a reasonable penalty for something of this nature. Are you aware of who will monitor the use of the PFAS chemicals in firefighting foam? Will it be the job of the New South Wales EPA or NICNAS? It's not entirely clear at, at this stage. I mean, it's a ban that the regulations are introducing. There's no express requirement, for example, to monitor, but it's something certainly that I would encourage businesses to self-regulate and look at themselves. Do you expect that the EPA might give some more information around this? I did ask them to talk in the podcast, but they were unavailable. I expect they might. EPA does do ad hoc inspections anyway, particularly for any uh, scheduled premises or any licensed premises. This, no doubt, will be one of the things they check when they're doing one of their routine visits. They will also presumably be the party that will take the enforcement action. But in terms of monitoring, it's unclear at this stage. In your commentary, near the end of your commentary, you talk about the national framework regarding PFAS. Can you please explain briefly the draft legislation package that the Australian government released on the 7th of January, as you wrote in your commentary? Yeah, so this is part of a a much broader package of the five bills. And the intention is to establish a national framework to manage the ongoing use, handling and disposal of industrial chemicals. What the bills do is they establish decision-making principles that set out characteristics for categorising industrial chemicals according to their level of concern to the environment based on their use. Does that include PFAS? So PFAS can be listed on the register. And then my understanding is that the intention certainly in releases that the government has given in the past is that they intend that PFAS substances will be included on this industrial chemicals register and the intention 
intention is that the PFAS substances will also be banned at a federal level from around 2022, and that will be in line with the Stockholm Convention. Oh, that's very interesting. So that would mean they're going to ratify those listings at the same time, I imagine? Yeah, and it'll be done through this national framework. And I think really the reason for the delay is that obviously it captures all industrial chemicals and it's part of a package that the federal government is looking at across the board to really encourage a lot more rigour around the regulation of those industrial chemicals. So on the 7th of January 2020, did they actually make this regulation now? The bill has had a, its first reading, it's been passed by both houses, but it hasn't actually been made yet. So when the bill becomes an act, it effectively becomes legislation. So while there is a national framework, it's important to remember that PFAS contamination, identification, management and cleanup is still regulated as pollution and contamination under the state and territory laws. So in an Australia, while you have federal legislation regulating some aspects of the environment, pollution and contamination is still regulated at that state and territory level. Okay, so is there any other key takeaways that you want to mention there, Claire, from your commentary? Only that obviously there's a window now for affected businesses to get their house in order. They should be doing an inventory review, seeing if they do have any PFAS-containing products, seeing what's out there to replace those products, and also thinking very carefully about the management story and eventual disposal of those PFAS-containing substances. Are you aware of any legal disposal routes for people to get rid of the PFAS? Uh, It's tricky because I know landfills are very reluctant to accept it because it's extremely mobile and soluble. At the moment, polluted sites that do have a lot of PFAS are actually creating containment cells, impermeable containment cells, so that they can store the PFAS pending appropriate remediation technologies. There's a lot of information out there on remediation technologies and there's rapid advancements in that area. Perhaps anyone listening to this that has old stock to dispose, perhaps they would contact the EPA? Yep, you could contact the EPA. There are some specialty hazardous chemical companies that potentially are also accepting this, but the EPA would be a good starting point. Thank you, Claire. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Talking PFAS News, and I'll be putting a link to the commentary that Claire Smith and Chloe Jolly wrote from Clayton Utes on the 18th of March 2021. And I'll also put a link to the New South Wales EPA announcement regarding the ban. And in both of those documents, you'll find much more information than today's brief discussion. And I'd like to say special thanks again to Claire from Clayton Utes for being willing to come onto the show at such short notice. The next episode of Talking PFAS News will be published on the 31st of May 2021 and this time I'll be taking you across the Tasman to talk with some guests from Tasmania about PFAS. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. All information in today's episode is copyright. Please contact me for reuse permissions at talkingpfas at gmail.com. Thank you.